morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And we've got a goal, our goal and a game plan too, by the way. Our goal and game plan is to help to educate our our consumers here in the Central Valley. So, you know, next time there's a real estate downturn like there was in 2008, 2009 and such, we're not, Fresno's not going to be in the top 10 for foreclosures. Um, we're not going to even be in the top 100 because we're going to be educated. We're going to make good decisions. And part of that is you just got to understand the local market. What's happening in Michigan might be different than what's happening in Central California. For that matter, what's happening in Southern California might be different just by going north a couple hundred miles. So to help me with this today, we have uh, Roger Story. Uh, Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Don. Now, he brings a unique perspective. Um, he, He specializes in motels and hotels but all types of commercial transactions, too. And, um, in fact, a thing called syndication, which we're going to get to towards the end of the show. Um, So if you want to know what that means, um, stay tuned. Um, But I do have to say, uh, Roger was one of the very first people I met even before I got into real estate. Uh, Here's the funny story. I was working for uh, a tree service, I was filthy dirty because we'd been working out there uh, in the trees and uh, I had goggle eyes from all the dust and sitting at Dairy Queen having lunch and told somebody I was taking my real estate exam the next day and up walks this guy in a three-piece suit and he says hi I'm Roger Story here's my business card when you get that license come talk to me I want to hire you (laughs) do you remember that Roger I certainly do all right. I'd like to say that you never know when you're going to find a jewel, so you always have to be recruiting. <laughs> okay. There's a few people that might say, uh, you should have uh, stayed in the tree business. Nah. <laughs> All right. So tell us about the hotel motel business. What, is it... Uh, is it on fire right now? Oh, gosh, that's a really bad term to say right now in California. I'm so sorry for that. We have a hot market uh, in housing. Um, How is the hotel motel business? Well, the hotel business can be varied, but the hotel business has been good ever since Jesus couldn't find a room in the manger, okay? (laughs) So there's always a need for a type of housing, and that is more or less temporary housing because the people stay in that particular type of of, housing. of a dwelling overnight, then get up and leave. Whereas uh, in houses, people tend to stay a little longer. In apartments, they tend to stay a little longer also. But the market right now uh, in hospitality, uh, people think because of this uh, 19 that uh, it did take a hit and it was a shock. But it's come back very strong. Uh, One of the things that hotel people do, checking on each other, they always want to know how their competitor's doing, about 8.30 at night, they drive around to different people's parking lots to see if they're full. I can tell you right now, if you drive down the 99 between Belmont and Olive, on that strip out there, there's 13 hotels out there, and I owned a number of them at one time. Uh, those parking lots are about 80 to 90% full right now. 
And that's because you live in an area where there's so much activity going on in the summer with farms, you know, with all the grapes and all the uh, other things that they're harvesting. Those folks have to have somewhere to stay. The truck drivers have to have somewhere to stay. So right now, the hotel people are feeling a little bit uh, sassy. Their coffers are full. They're doing well. Uh, But there is some seasonality to hotels. Uh, It will slow down in October, and it'll stay slowed through March. But we have so many generators and attractors uh, in Fresno that bring people to Fresno, like, you know, uh, like some of the great monuments that we have, uh, you know, the the things people can visit, the things that people can do. And there was sports activities. That's, uh, you know, that's hurt a little bit now. But Yosemite's still up there, and people are still traveling through this town. We don't have that big thing called the Blue Ocean out there that other people have over on the coast, and that's really uh, what controls the secret to, to hotels. And the secret to hotels is, and I'll use a bit of vernacular, but then I'll define it, so I'm not going to lose you. It's called ADR, Average Daily Rate. Your average daily rate right now in Fresno is anywhere from an average hotel it's probably starting at about 75, going to 150, whereas over on the coast it could be three times that high, and it's because of that big blue thing, okay? Mm. I've often talked about how the ocean makes a difference. I, I told, um, oh, a year ago, I had I made a referral for a two, uh, guy purchased a two-bedroom, one-bath home, about 1,000 square feet in Iowa. He mm. bought it for 70000 Right. At the same time... Uh, made a a referral down in Long Beach area right for a two-bedroom one bath about a thousand square feet and it sold for 499 so five hundred thousand dollars correct so I often say what a difference an ocean makes it really does (laughs) I was with an appraiser one time actually it was my own home uh, and I asked him he was up on top of the hill overlooking the ocean and I said well what uh, what does that ocean view make he said just add a hundred thousand (laughs) <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> All right. I, I go along with that. So um, when the pandemic hit us, let's say middle of March, um, I, I think everybody was in shock. And did that also shock the hotel motel business? It did. Uh, and, you know, we don't always react real well to shock uh, because it's, uh, it's irrational. And uh, it really did affect all of us, all the way from the hotel owners to the people that stayed in hotels to the employees of the hotels. Uh, We all went through about uh, a 90-day shock, and then we started adjusting. And we always do. You know, that's one thing about the American people. Uh, They'll figure out a way to adjust and make something work, uh, even if it's a a shock in the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting you say 90 days because that's about what it took the um, residential market to come back. There are similarities, even though we're, you know, we're different functions. Mm-hmm. There's still similarities in real estate. Uh, where we get off step, as far, as far as the comparison goes, is when you're selling hotels and you're putting values on hotels. Uh, you're, you know, I was in residential 50 years ago, and I understood what it what it took to do that and then i i won't say i graduated but i migrated to the hotels and income property and i can tell you there's specific formulas that apply to income property and hotels that don't apply uh, to residential 
Oh, I can vouch for that one. In residential, emotion is a lot of the value. That's exactly right. Yeah, where I think in uh, any kind of commercial business, value has to be based on numbers. Exactly. That's yeah. right. The, the the numbers that that make a difference in um, residential would be bedroom, bathroom count, square footage. But you're talking about ADR, average daily rate. Correct. You're talking about uh, cap in, rates. Cap rates, yeah. Income. Return on investment. Sure, because why would you buy it if you didn't want to return? That's correct. Uh, and it's not so much as buying it. Why would you take on the risk if there wasn't a rate of investment return? That's a good question, and one that if you're not in the business, you might not understand this. Hospitality can get in your blood. The people that are in hotels really become entwined in operations. What makes a hotel function and operate well. And being able to learn that and apply that to a specific property, to a specific region, a market, uh, becomes an addiction uh, that we all want to solve uh, within our own domain. So I can honestly tell you, I've seen some of my hotel owners uh, struggle, come to this country with hardly no money, work day and night, uh, cleaning rooms, doing all kinds of things, building up a number of hotels themselves, maybe owning four or five, and then they put their kids through the, the best colleges that there are out there, and the kids will go to the college, become a doctor or a pharmacist, and then guess what? They come back to operating a hotel. It got in their blood. It huh? got in their blood. All right. We're going to go to a commercial break, but when we get back, I want to know more about what makes the value of, of this commercial property. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio with us today, we have Roger M. Story. Uh, Roger is a commercial broker. Uh, you are stationed out of Fresno, aren't you? That's correct. You, but you're, you're everywhere. I'm a Texas broker also, and I do business in all the states. Ah. Well, I know we have a listener, John Shamshoyan, who he also uh, invests in Texas yeah, real estate. Hi, John. So, so um, I'll bet he really tunes up now, and he, he's going to learn a thing or two from you. You watch. Next uh, thing I you know, so. he's going to be buying <laughs> a hotel in Texas. Or a ranch. I bought a ranch in Texas, and I've kept it for 25 years. Really? What part of Texas? It's in central Texas, just like central Fresno in, is in California. Yeah. It's in a town called Columbus of about 4,500 people off of the I-10 between Austin and San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, it's a different world. Uh, when I when I go to the bank in Columbus, I pull up to the bank, I go in. They recognize me when I come in. They don't ask me for my driver's license. They just they they just perform like things used to happen 50 years ago. Well, they probably figure he's got a California license. It's not even <laughs> worth asking for. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they think if if you're from California, when I bought my ranch back there, there's an impression of Californians. We're either, they, they view us all as if we're Hollywood people, we're from Hollywood, or we're gay. We're one of the two, okay? <laughs> okay. And sometimes they think we're both. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I know when I was 18, and this long time ago, um, going through Texas with California license plates on our panel truck, sure enough, we got pulled over and, and checked on, and, um, you know, they, they invited us to leave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I and I know it's because we had the California license plates. You know? yeah, that's we, very we true. Were, young healthy looking all american kids yeah well yeah. maybe not but i tell you a story that woke me up uh, i'm a 77 year old guy and seldom am i embarrassed by asking a stupid question but one time i asked a stupid question of a texan when i was back there about 30 years ago i was on a big spread looking at his ranch and uh, i just blank-mindedly asked the rancher god this is a big place how many head of cattle do you have here and he looked at me and he said, I wouldn't ask you how much money you got in the bank, would I? <laughs> so never did I ever ask anybody how many cattle they had anymore because it's a personal question. <laughs> they put their wealth in their the value of what they have sometimes. And to ask somebody how many head of cattle almost told me what he would be worth. So uh, he, set Interesting. Me, he set me straight. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, how would you compare the texas and california markets as far as commercial properties well as far as valuation goes i was back in texas uh in the uh 80s and 90s when what they called the resolution trust company came along rtc and i was actually selling hotels for what the land was worth they were getting the hotel free and ever since then, I've realized that a lot of times in California, just to speak common language with people in California, right now in, in San Francisco, you're, well, let's just use Fresno first. The hotels in Fresno are selling for four to five times uh, multiple gross income. In San Francisco, they're selling for seven to eight times. In the Silicon Valley, about the same. In Texas, they're almost like Central Valley Fresno. Their values are much lower. So there's a lot of people right now, as these, as these values get irrational, are starting to look at, at, at Texas, Nevada, and Idaho, uh, because the values seem to be more realistic. Mm -hmm. But also a lot like our Central Valley, and I've said this before, where the average sales price in, for the whole state of California is up around 700000 Correct. For a home. Whereas in the Central Valley, it's closer to 300000 Yeah. Yeah. You might compare uh, the Texas to the Central Valley. It's pretty similar. Mm -hmm. Except, well, I won't say that because I do love the, the Valley people because you know, I'm raised here, married here, married a farmer's daughter, and became a farmer myself. I'm, I actually farm almonds, and I farmed uh, vineyards. I farmed alfalfa. I farmed beans. Uh, but I can tell you something about the Texas people. Uh, you ask a Texas person if you're lost and you're out in the country, uh, directions. They'll spend time telling you how to get there, and if they think you didn't get it, they'll get in the truck with you and go with you and help you find it. Mm -hmm. In California, a lot of times, I think they give you the wrong directions just to get you lost. <laughs> you know, and, and I'll tell you, Texans are just hospitable people, mm -hmm. very much so. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned uh, the difference in values between states what makes value in a hotel and motel and for, well, let me first say what's the difference between a hotel and a motel well in the old days 
I, I'm going to get really uh, personal with some people when I tell them this. In the old days, you know, you used to say a motel, and that was when you'd pull up and get out of your car and walk in the front door, okay? And in a, in a hotel, you go through a, a door into a large opening, okay? And then the rooms are interior inside. Uh, so you have more security, okay, mm-hmm. that way. Now, a lot of times, and I'm going to be risque here a little bit, you know, hotels are used for a lot of different reasons. I've sold hotels uh, that have a lot of traffic going on, and you wonder how many times that room gets rented. Uh, and then the old motels, some people liked them because they could pull around back and uh, go, in the, go in, and nobody knew that they were there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because your car wasn't out in the front where it was seeable, okay? Whereas uh, in a hotel, if you pull up into the you know, interior corridor, you probably got a public parking lot that people can spot your car. So you never know who's looking for you sometimes, too. Yeah. So our, lo- our hospitality laws and things have changed with people's uh, needs to some extent. Okay. So what makes their value? Is, is it based on annual income times a certain amount? Yeah, it, is, it is gross income. Uh, but it always, no matter what you say, whether it's uh, an apartment or uh, a restaurant, we always get down to the true net income. And how do you get down to the true net income? Uh, you get there by taking the gross income, uh, pulling out uh, what they call uh, EBITDA, uh, earnings before interest, taxes, and insurance, and appreciation. And then you get down to that thing that counts more than anything else, net income. That's what makes a difference. All right. Um, and what do most investors look for? Uh, a capitalization rate? I'll tell you, I am an appraiser also uh, and, uh, and work with uh, people in valuations and work with MAI appraisers. One of the things that, uh, that's very important is, uh, is knowing how to get to that value. Okay, so, you know, you can, net income is always important, but we take, there's about five different modalities that determine uh, value, and we'll take them and then actually do an average of each one of them and come up with an average of the whole process. Mm -hmm. You know, your sophisticated investor will only talk to you about cap rates, you know, return on the investment that divide the sales price into the net operating income. That's the first thing they want to know. And I know when somebody asks me that, I know they're a sophisticated investor. If some guy just walks up and tooes me and says, look, what's the multiplier? I know he's a good guy, but he's not all that sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then one guy will walk up to me and say, well, how much per room? Okay. Because I'm selling hotels right now uh, to the housing authority between forty-five and 50000 a room. Okay. And that was for the first tier of money that came out. There was a $600 million um, uh, grant that was just given, to, and Fresno got $36 million of it. I put $21 million in escrow for the housing authority here in Fresno. And their average cost per unit was 45 to 50 per unit. Now, that's pretty low compared to North Fresno, where I've sold three or four other hotels for $100,000 a unit. Okay, mm-hmm. so per unit is one of the bases that it gets you down to the common denominator, so we can have a normal conversation. Most people don't carry a calculator with them and know how to d- how to compute the uh, you know the cap rate. 
Mm, I see. What about financing on hotels and motels? It's there. Uh, you have 504, 7A, SBAs. Uh, they love to finance hotels. And there's some people... Small who, business administration. Small business administration, yeah. And, and your, <clears throat> conventional, your conventional banks do it also. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if they've got a client who's a big hitter in hospitality, uh, they're going to stay with that guy because he's made a lot of money. And all they look for is, can you pay me back? And if they've been successful and they have a good return on, uh, you know, making their payments, uh, they're more than happy to make a loan on uh, on a hotel. I see. Um, tax tax wise on hotels, I um, I know there's property tax, which uh, with Proposition 13 in California, it's going to be one percent of the value based on its purchase, its last purchase price. But what other kinds of taxes are, are, are paid by hotels? Well, uh, they can do depreciation in sort of a component-type basis because every five years, typically, you're going to have to replace your carpets and carpet and your what to call your FF&E. And I won't use a, a vernacular without being defining that for you. That's furniture, fixtures, and equipment. They only last so long. Mm-hmm. And you can depreciate those based on their lifetime. So that's a tremendous write-off for a hotel person. Okay, mm-hmm. that's just one of them. So there's a, there's a lot of ways, to, and you get interest right off too. You know, you get all the the other things in depreciation, normal depreciation on the building itself. You know, that's typically 29 years. Okay, and where I was going with that is, you know, whenever I check into a hotel, that um, I see quite a big bill for, or, or or an add-on for taxes. That's right, city taxes. It's and- called the TOT, the Transient Occupancy Tax. Uh, and the city is supposed to use that tax for tourism to encourage more people to come and stay in that town and in that hotel. Mm-hmm. And the and the hotel owner is charged thirteen percent. If it's if it's a hundred dollars, it's one hundred and thirteen dollars. But you pay it, and then the then the uh, hotel owner passes it on to the city general the fund. Okay, so cities should like hotels. They'd love them. They love them. Because that's an additional source of income. They're getting property tax Correct. plus this, is it called a tourism tax? It's, it's, it's called transient Tr- occupancy tax. All right. The TOT. TOT. All right. Boy, today I am going to learn more new acronyms <laughs> than I ever have. FFE, TOT. Yeah. And with all those head scratchers, we're going to another commercial break. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with us today, helping to bring a lot of good information to our listeners, well, and to me, is Roger Story. Uh, he is a hotel motel specialist, but um, uh, part of Investment Commercial Specialists Incorporated. So, Roger, how has Airbnb changed the hotel motel business, or has it even changed it? Don, I, I like the word that you use, change. You know, that's the only thing we can really count on because, and going back again, there's really nothing new. This whole concept started in Europe when people uh, had homes for 100 years and uh, people were traveling through Europe. 
they would rent their house out or one of their rooms out to some traveler. So that's how the Airbnb got started, okay? Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that some smart guy uh, figured out a way to package that whole process and make it a more commercial, formal-type relationship with the person staying there, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's been very innovative. It's still in its growth stages. Uh, it's having some problems right now. I read the Wall Street Journal every day, and uh, you know they're having some problems with uh, how it's administrated and all that. And there's also some questions you have to ask yourself. Uh, I mean, you mentioned to me that you have a rental that you're thinking about possibly doing that with, but a lot of people use their own personal homes and a and a room within that home. Uh, I say I'm a little bit more cautious because you never know who you're going to have as a guest. And so there's some trepidation to these things, too. Mm-hmm. So as you consider these things, you can consider the money and how you can make more money, but you also need to f- figure out some of the other safety factors. But it I, definitely yeah. has had an impact on the regular hotel business. And that's where I'm going with this. H- has that hurt the hotel business? I'll just say that it's impacted it. Uh, there's there's enough demand uh, for the Airbnb to uh, to be successful and not not demolish the uh, you know the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. It's funny how I say the hotel business and you say the hospitality business, and I'll bet there's a reason for that. Well, that's the first thing when I owned hotels. Uh, my sons worked the desk a lot of times. And I said, you know, this this is hospitality. You know, make these people feel welcome, okay? And uh, and and it's very true. And I'm I'm not the one that coined that hospitality, but that is the overall uh, arching arm of uh, of the hospitality business. They don't say motel or hotel. That's down on the ground. Overall, it's the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. And I see that because I'm thinking back to my favorite place. Um, I used to go to Los Angeles a lot to visit my father, and um, and he was right off the 405 in Wilshire. Correct. So I found a place called the Hotel Angelino. It's that round, circular, tall building right off right. the 405 in Sunset. Correct. I stayed it, there. Yeah, and you know what I think of whenever I. I think of the warm chocolate chip cookies ah, they gave ah, me every ah, time I stayed there. There you go. So, yeah. I, I mean, I've, it felt like home. Yeah. Uh, hosp- and, and then, gosh, they were friendly. They were. They were. They are. Let me, let me give you a word that is probably uh, applicable even in your business. What's happening in the hotel business is the word called repurpose. And that's happening in a lot of these, uh, you know, I have coffee every morning at Uncle Harry's there in River Park, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at uh, some of the buildings in Cashin Shopping Center that are vacant. And uh, that Emporium or whatever, Pier 1 or something they call it, is vacant. Uh, all these buildings are going to have to be repurposed, There's, you know, because they've lost their tenants. Mm-hmm. Hotels are being repurposed. Uh, the, the housing authority, and this is where you were going to lead me, I think, uh, next, uh, is repurposing some of these old hotels up and down the 99 uh, for housing. So repurpose is a key word. Mm. It, it, yeah. It's vogue now. It's pretty good how I let you lead yourself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gave me a hint. Hey, after 12 years, uh, you know, I'm, I'm no longer a weekend warrior at this. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, that's a huge question I have. I'm hearing about hotels and motels being bought by the government for yeah. um, for housing for, I guess, homeless people and um, not just homeless, but emergency housing. Long-term housing. They call themselves long-term housing. Ah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, if you look at what they're doing, and they, I was involved in the in a irrational, maddening program the last two weeks, because the housing authority contacted me and says, "Find me a number of hotels because we have to spend for the San Joaquin Valley thirty-six million dollars because it was a total of six hundred million, five fifty from the federal government and fifty from the state government that was allocated for housing in California." And Fresno got $36 million. Uh, Central Coast got $22 million. So I could go through the other counties uh, and tell you what they got. But they were allocated this money, but they had to spend this money fast. We had to have it in escrow by August 13th. And, uh, and we got to close within about 90 days. So it put a rush on everything we were doing, all the inspectors and owners and everybody. So it's the housing authority that's buying these? That The housing authority is one of the agencies that's approved to do the purchasing. Mm-hmm. I, as a broker, worked for them to find the properties and worked for the sellers to sell the properties to the housing authority. Okay, But it doesn't necessarily have to be the housing authority. Uh, there's a gentleman in town uh, by the name of Wayne Rutledge who has started another organization that's very similar to the housing authority, and he's doing the same thing that the housing authority is doing. He's buying hotels, okay, because he has demonstrated that he has a back room and the ability to administrate uh, the people and manage the properties and do everything that's required by the federal government. So he can al- he's also approved to take those funds and buy, and he gets 100% financing. They own these things. Now, used to, the housing authority used to go to you as the owner if you had an apartment and say, would you participate in the Section 8 program? And you say, yes, well, then we'll put people in your place. We'll clean it up if they make a mess of it, okay? But now the housing authority is actually buying it themselves with, and getting 100% financing. And mm-hmm. so is this Wayne Rutley. Same thing. Okay, and so um – people would go through the housing authority or through this private organization and apply for tenancy? That's correct. uh, And it's a regular tenancy. It's not a temporary thing. Oh, no. It can be long-term. What's interesting, right across from your radio station down here at Fulton, is the housing authority. It's Mm -hmm. right over here. I've been there many times. And uh, if you'll go in there, you'll see a whole row of people sitting there waiting to be assigned uh, a Section 8 or, a, or an apartment. and they put the, the voucher program. That's right. That's right. And they put a lot – it's your money and my money, but they put a lot of money in these things. Down at Clinton and Fresno Street, the old, the old housing project across from the hospital, mm-hmm. when I first started working with the housing authority, they said, Roger, don't try to make economic sense out of what we're doing. Okay, that was the first warning I got from Preston Prince. I mean, he's he knows what he's doing, you know. Yeah. So he's trying to guide me to to, to be. And he obviously knows how to talk to people. He does. When he said, "Roger, don't try <laughs> to make sense out of this." That's right. That's right. So anyhow, I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, instead of renting a house or an apartment, 
they're renting a hotel room. They will do a house or an apartment. They'll do an apartment house, or they will do a single family. Mm-hmm. In fact, the housing authority just bought land. They think they're always buying land and, and properties in lower-end areas. They just bought out near Maple and Alluvial, and they're going to mm-hmm. build a whole uh, housing authority uh, project out there. So it's mm-hmm. not just they're in every community now. Okay. But when they buy these hotels, I mean, uh, so is that a lower monthly rent than an apartment? So it, it, it truly is affordable housing? Typically it is. Yeah, it okay. is. Yeah. All right. Um, in, unless you're going to the, the Hyatt, right? <laughs> I don't know of any housing authority people staying in the Hyatt. Okay. <laughs> unless it's Preston Prince. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, I hope he's listening today, but maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> I may not want him to listen. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, we are fortunate to have him here in Fresno County. We uh, are. Run, running that. Uh, and he's been here on the show several times. Oh, he's so. an amazing person. Yeah. Knows what he's doing. And just a friendly, down-to-earth guy. He is that. Okay, Preston, that was in case you are listening. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, do... When the people rent these rooms at the hotel, do they go into a one-year lease uh, uh, or month-to-month, just like it was an apartment? It's typically month-to-month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, typically. Even in the hotel rooms, when when they get a check, a voucher check, it's usually for that one night. Sometimes it's three nights. I've owned hotels where they've showed up with the you know for, for a week, but most of the time it's just it's an emergency housing move. Right, is what it is. Okay. Uh, and I've seen that before where people do need that short-term place sure. just on an emergency basis. Absolutely. Um, why, why is the government doing this? Well, we've got, we've got to look at historical trends again. Uh, because nobody else is willing to is the, is the bottom line. Churches used to. Organizations used to. But, uh, you know... Uh, Jim Franklin uh, is a kind of a minister that, you know, he would go back to that if uh, if he could get the churches to do a, probably a, overall a better job of, uh, you know, putting the money up. But uh, we used to take care of our own, and now we've become so impersonal, and the need has grown so much too. I think it's uh, I think we're all astonished at the n- number of people we see on the side of the road. Yes, they don't choose to live on the street. Most of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them have mental problems, but most of them don't choose to live on the street. Yeah, yeah. And um, a couple of years ago, we had a guy here in the studio who went from homelessness to home ownership, and that was hands down the most touching I bet. interview ever. And, and that includes the one today too. I bet. It was. <laughs> yeah, he's got you beat, Roger. Yeah, that's right. I'm, but, I'm glad he does. Yeah. Um. You said a couple of things in, in, in different conversations, but I think they apply. So you said the reason the government wants to get involved in it is no one else wants to. Okay, and that makes sense. But also, you said don't try to make economic sense out of this. That might be why no one else wants to. As far as private industry, you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. everybody's looking for that ROI, return on investment. Mm-hmm. Government is not looking for ROI. All right. With that, we are going to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. It's the work that feels 
Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we have Roger Story here, an, inve- um, an investor in commercial properties here in the Valley, also in Texas. And I think that was an appropriate song for you, taking care of business. Um, there's a business called Syndication, and I believe you even wrote a book on syndication. I did. Can you tell us what that is? Because I, I hear the term syndication, and I remember the movie The Godfather <laughs> and, and Vito Corleone talking about yeah. our syndicate. <laughs> I was getting a haircut one time uh, when I was doing syndication, and people didn't know who I was in there, and they were talking about syndication, and they started talking about me, and they says, he is, he is connected, you know. <laughs> and I looked over, you know, it's a good thing they didn't know who I was, okay? Or using a straight razor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, to simplify it, really, I got into syndication from residential real estate. I, I had RMS Realty, and we mentioned a guy named Joe Jones and Goldie Tatum. Uh, they both uh, worked with and for me at different times. And, but I just literally got burnt out in, uh, in residential so I started looking for another way uh, to challenge myself and to do things. And, and I wasn't real good at selling that certain kind of table with a red carpet to the housewife who wanted something specific. So I wanted to do a more rational thing, I thought, about you know uh, putting money together. So I read a book, uh, read things about syndication, and it, it, it looked like the way to go to me. It's, you know, you go out and find a good investment, and people will be attracted, number one, to a good investment if it throws off the right return. And then you put a package together on it, and I'm just I'm speaking very openly and plainly here, and it needs to have a little sizzle. You know, you put a little brochure together saying this is a such and such piece of property, uh, that it was built this way, and it has these attributes and characteristics, and it's unique, and uh, it's one not necessarily one of a kind, but we'll throw off a certain type of investment, so we had to do certain projections based on historical returns in, of investments for that particular type of property. And then we went out and said, we will offer you a certain amount of money on return if you'll invest with us. And typically, it's a shared return, and it's changed over the years. When I first started as a syndicator, we used to do 50-50 deals. The investor got 50, and we got 50 at the end. Then it got harder to make those get those investors, so then it went to uh, 70-30, 60-40, 90-10. So it's changed over the years, the amount of return. Okay, So it's group investing, uh, and you have to have, because it gets into the SEC, and you have to be, when you get uh, controlled by the Security Exchange Commission, uh, you can lose a lot of sleep. So I did those kind of investments in syndication that were private offerings. You could only have so many people in the offering, but you were still highly regulated uh, by the SEC. So a syndication is simply a group of investors pooling their money together on one project. You said it very very well, and it could be ongoing projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be just continuous. They keep reinvesting as we go. You know, or it could be a, I've had guys put groups of houses together in a syndication, like 30 houses. Mm-hmm. As, as, and that's a wonderful investment, by the way, because homes have done well. You know, and it's very conservative, so it's not like high risk. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, there are high-risk syndications, you know, oil and gas exploration, okay? Hotels, motels, Hotels. Or not? <laughs> no, I don't consider that high-risk. It's, okay. uh, it's, it's a basic More the component. Yeah, I, I tell you that, like I say, 
since God was looking for a, a room in the manger, you know, that was a need. It was required. Mm-hmm. So hotels are a necessity for the guy to come to town and work with his company. And so it's not a high risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm glad I asked that question because yeah. this risk versus reward. That, that's kind of one of the basics of investing. It is. Yeah, it the is. higher the risk, the greater reward you'd better get. That's true. The lower the risk, then, then it, you don't have to have such a high reward. I talk to some people, and I would not have them as an investor because they don't have the appetite or the personality for it. And I would not recommend them to invest. They better do what I did the other day. I was investing. I don't invest in much stock. But I was in some stock I didn't understand, so I sold it and bought Walmart. Okay. <laughs> okay. Some people shouldn't be in uh, some heavy stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you put a syndication together, let, let's say 30 people that you've pulled together, but one person doesn't fit the personality of the others. That's got to be typical. Well, you have to have a way out, too. There's an exit uh, strategy that you have to have for them. And, and your agreement, your your uh, pur- purchase, your uh, partnership agreement addresses those issues. So one person can b- uh, sell their way out. There's a way. There's a the prescribed way to do that. Okay. What what's the typical prescription for that? That the, uh, the other people have first right. They usually have first right of refusal after that, and then if not, then we go to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And there's some really other sort of esoteric ways to do it too. Uh, being a creative syndicator, I've had to do, and, but you got to keep it all legal. So as long as it's legal and the, you're figuring out how to isolate and, and get their interest out of the partnership, that's why it's so important to qualify the people that you put in the partnership. Make sure that they're the right type of person. Okay. And it's not easy. Boy, I wouldn't think so. No. Um, just creating a partnership um, – I, I've had partnerships before, just uh, one other person buying a single-family residence. Right. So as simple as a partnership can be. Sure. And, boy, there were some that worked out great, and there were some that it's like, hey, why don't you buy me out or I'll buy you out? This isn't working. <laughs> yeah, we just had a, in one of the hotels we just sold. Uh, it was a partnership between two sets of people. And uh, about five or six years ago, one of the people had a stroke, so we had to go to their general partnership, the title company, Placer, said, uh, let's see the partnership agreement. And it said that if there's anybody disabled or, or incapacitated, uh, the partnership automatically dissolves. But Placer uh, said, you know, get an attorney to uh, interpret that, and, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll put a policy of title on it. So the every eventuality uh, is attempted to be foreseen, mm-hmm. which is almost impossible. But, but you know, you live long enough to see that people die and have strokes and things change. Yeah. So in this syndication of 30 people, who runs it? Is it one of the, one of the people, uh, the group owners, or to, do you hire out? No, that's why they get into it, because they don't want to be involved with management and running things. It's typically a general partner, or one or two general partners. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've been... I've been a general partner by myself, but I, it's better to be a general partner with somebody else to share the responsibility, okay? But then you, you then you hire a management company and you hire everything else done too. Okay. How many years have you been in the real estate industry? And then the, my follow-up question is going to be, how has real estate changed in your career? Well, I started in 1969, so that's about 50 years. 
uh, it has changed drastically. Uh, it has become much more uh, legalistic. Uh, the forms and requirements are just can. If you're going to be in it, you better have high tolerance for uh, for the ability to fill out forms and make sure everything is done. Uh, so it's changed uh, immensely over mm-hmm. the years, and and it hasn't gotten more simple. Nothing's gotten more simple. It's gotten more complicated. Oh yeah. I would actually be afraid to write up a house right now. <laughs> I'm much more comfortable with commercial property. Wow. Then who would think that that commercial would be simpler? as far as the legal forms, well, th- than a home. And you can tell me, Don, why that is, is because the homeowner is supposed to be naive and de- don't know how to protect himself, whereas the guy that's buying a real high-end investment is sophisticated and uh-huh. needs less protection from me. Mm-hmm. He can afford a big attorneys, he can afford accountants and everything else. But the little house guy that may not have the sophistication to even you know, know how to you know, matriculate a termite report without yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. And that's what the realtor is for. That's right. In housing is to help interpret those forms. Um, hey, when it comes to termite reports, I know how to read those things inside now. In the and even a the termite report is one of the simplest forms in the transaction, and yet out of those nine or ten pages, there's only two that really matter. <laughs> the, the I shouldn't say the others don't matter, but you know, it's describing the chemicals that may possibly be used it, right. and, and the precautions that need to be taken. So, yeah, there are so many protections out there. Um, so I know how real estate has changed back in when you started and even when I started. Um, a listing agreement was one page long, and there were no disclosures. So your listing involved one piece of paper. That's right. The purchase contract involved, it was two pages and no disclosures. Right. So um, I'll say something to that. Uh, I happen to use the AIR form, the American Industrial Real Estate form for commercial property. But in addition to that AIR form, depending on whatever type of property we're in, we have to have an addendum that fits that particular type of property. Like if it's a hotel, I have an addendum that uh, that goes along with the 11-page air form, okay? Mm-hmm. And it addresses only things r- specifically related to hotels. So that's how uh, that's how specialized it's gotten. So 11 pages to buy a hotel? That's the simple one. 14 to buy a home. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and that's only the purchase contract. We're not counting all the disclosures. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you do it. Well... Um, you have to, I, I know how you do it. You have to establish trust with your client. Right. And the client has to trust you. And as you move through these different things, you develop the habit of doing checklists. You have to. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so we've got about 30 seconds left. Roger, give me your best real estate advice. Well, I'll go back to what I call the Socratic uh, philosophy of life. You know, there was uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And Aristotle says one of the best things that anybody can do in an occupation is to specialize. Figure out what you want to do and specialize in that area. Mm-hmm. Because just like surgeons, you wouldn't want somebody, a heart surgeon, operating on you for your foot. 
That's okay? right. And they might not know what they're doing. All right. Thank you very much, Roger M. Story, for Thank being you. our guest today and enlightening us on commercial real estate. And it's thank my you to thank you. And thank you to all our listeners out there for tuning in. We appreciate you and we'll be back next week with Supervisor Nathan Magzig. Thank you very much. <laughs>